If you have a copy of the Bible available to you, I'm going to read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, and I want to read um, from verse 17. Luke chapter 5 and verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralysed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralysed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Now I simply want to consider some lessons from the faith of the friends of these, these men. And it's that aspect of the story that I find so challenging and encouraging, especially in the day and age in which we are living, where it's very, very difficult for the cause of the gospel throughout the world. And never was believing prayer more needed than today. As we see everything that's going on around us, it's the easiest thing for us to become discouraged, to become downcast, and to lose heart. And that's the great danger to each one of us individually, and also to us all corporately in our churches. So how then can we continue and not lose heart? Well, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, told them that one of the things that kept him going was the fact that he had an unbounded spirit of faith. Now, that is not simply wishful thinking. It's laying hold of the truths of God, standing upon them, and living your life in accordance with them. That is what it means to be a believer. And we're all concerned for our loved ones, for the outsider, the unconverted, the sad, and how few there are that are being saved. And we are living in the day of small things. So how can we continue in this work and not lose heart? Well, we must know what it is to exercise greater faith. That's what we see illustrated for us by these men here. They took their friend to where Jesus was to be found. Now, it doesn't tell us whether it was for a specific reason that they brought him. We presume that it was for healing. But who is to say that they didn't see a deeper need in the man? Certainly our Lord saw a deeper need. Now, whatever way it was, the important thing is that when Jesus saw their faith, he spoke the word 
of forgiveness. So in a very real sense, the faith of these men is what can only be described as vicarious or vicarious faith. And by vicarious, we mean something which is done for or instead of and in the place of another. It is substitutionary. The vicarious sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus was something that he suffered in the place and in the stead of his people. Vicarious faith is faith which is exercised and accepted on behalf of or instead of another. This man was healed because of the faith of his friends. It wasn't simply their faith in cooperation with his, it was instead of his. There may well have been faith on the part of the man, but there is no direct reference to that. The stress is laid upon the faith of the friends who brought him to Jesus, verse 20, when he saw their faith. Now, don't let your haunches get up at this. I'm not speaking about the matter of salvation by proxy or that we can be saved without personal faith. That's not the lesson from this story. It is faith which is exercised on behalf of others that they might be brought to the place of salvation. Now, you can discover from Scripture that this was not an isolated incident. Of the 24 miracles of healing in the Gospels, seven were healed entirely as a result of the faith of others. It's not simply the faith of a strong person coming to the aid of the weak, but a faith which prevails for the weak, apart from any faith of their own. In Matthew 8, you have the story of a centurion who came to Jesus, beseeching him to come and heal his sick servant at home. Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. The centurion said that it wasn't simply enough for him to speak the word, and the servant would be healed. Then the Lord said to him, well, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now, whose faith healed him? It was not the faith of the servant, but of the centurion. Not a word is said about the faith of the person who was healed. It's attributed to the faith of the centurion. In John 4, there is another occasion when a nobleman whose child was sick came some distance, pleaded with Jesus to come and heal his son. The boy, he said, is at the point of death. Now, instead of yielding at once, as in the case of the centurion, he began to reprove that kind of spirit that can't possibly believe except it sees signs and wonders. So the father, impatient and distressed, pleaded with him to go with him before the child died. There wasn't a moment to be lost. The distance was 25 miles away, and the man didn't conceive that healing could possibly take place without a physical contact. But neither the passionate appeal nor the physical contact was necessary. And Jesus simply says to him, go your way, your son lives. And when he obeyed, arrived home, his servants told him that the child had been healed at the very hour that Jesus had said the word and he had believed. So whose faith was exercised? He was healed entirely as a result of the faith of his father, who exercised it vicariously for the son who was 25 miles away. In Mark chapter 9, there's another instance of a father's faith prevailing 
for his son who was suffering from a mute spirit. You remember it happens at the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus threw back the healing of the boy upon the faith of the father who asked if he could do anything. It was not a question of Christ's power. It was a question of the father's faith. And we are told that immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and the lad was healed. Whose faith prevailed? Not the boys and not the disciples. And then there was the faith of the father. Finally, in Matthew 15, there's another striking event in the district of Tyre and Sidon, where a Greek woman comes to our Lord. Her daughter is grievously afflicted. She hears him. She seeks him out. She throws herself at his feet. She cries to him, beseeching to him to cast out the evil spirit from her daughter. And our Lord never seemed to speak to any other person as he spoke to this woman. He just remained silent. And the silence to her seemed like a rebuff. But she followed him, begging him as she went, until the disciples beseech him to grant her request. Now, if his silence had been severe to her, what about what he said? He said, I was not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She hears this and she falls at his feet and she pours out her agony of soul in a brief but moving prayer. Lord, help me. He says, it's not fit to give the bread to the dogs. And such a remark that she received from him would have silenced most people, but she prevails with him. She says, yes, Lord, but the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And it was at that point that our Lord answered her request. And this is what he said. O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you, even as you will. And when she arrived home, her daughter was lying peacefully in bed. Whose faith brought the healing? It did not come through the daughter's faith. It came through the faith of the mother. So you see that in all of these pictures, examples of vicarious faith, the faith of the centurion for his servant, the nobleman for his son, the father prevailing for his child, a mother prevailing for her daughter. Now let me repeat this because it's very important. Not that they could have surrogate salvation. That is not the point here. Everyone must have personal faith in Christ in order to be saved. So let me close by giving this very important point. Think about that mother with her child. When it seemed that her request was going to be denied, she, she cried out with a greater intensity. And this is what she said. Have mercy on me. She did not say, have mercy on my child. Now, why am I pointing that out? Because the mother was distressed and she suffered in her child before she could plead for her deliverance. Then when you have the distracted father at the foot of the Mount of Transfiguration, he says to the Lord, if you can do anything for us, not for him. The father was suffering in his child before he could bring him to Christ. And that is the pattern of most situations. 
We see the sorrows of people. We feel their agonies. We grieve over the way they suffer and so on. And their sins become our personal burdens. And their sorrows become our personal grief. Now I'm stressing this so that you don't lose heart and that you don't lose hope for your family, for your friends, for the people around you in the world. God is able to save them. He is able to keep them. And the point is this, we need to believe in that ability. And it all begins by making the needs of that other person or persons our own. And we need to come to Christ for them. We need to seek to bring them to Christ by faith. But we need to have faith as we are doing that. Now, don't let us be mistaken here. This kind of work is full of difficulties, as these friends of the paralyzed man discovered. Always the work of the gospel is filled with difficulties and hindrances and so on. But if you want to know people being brought to Christ and being saved by Christ, then you will know all kinds of difficulties. That's what this story in Luke's Gospel is about. Four men who exercise great faith despite the hindrances. And one of the great hindrances that we face is to be brought to the point of disappointment and despair and despondency. And then we lose faith. And I fear that that, speaking for myself, is the problem for many of us. We give up so easily, so quickly. We stop witnessing to them. We stop praying for them. Their situations, we look at them, we say it's hopeless. They've abandoned anything and they've turned to other situations. And individuals are given up because we feel that it's useless to seek their salvation any longer. And so what I'm suggesting to you, Stephen, is that in our prayer meetings, yours and mine, we need to cry to God for greater faith so that we will begin to believe that Christ can save them and he can help them. And so long as the peril of the unsaved is not felt by us as a burden, and so long as their salvation is not believed to be possible, then we won't see souls being saved. And it is through the word of God, faith and repentance are given, and the miracle of salvation takes place. That's why, as you pointed out, we need to bring the word of God to men and women. So I hope that that can be helpful to us.